If you're listening to us from outside the Territory or you haven't visited, chances are you probably haven't eaten a native tropical oyster, also known as a tropical black lip rock oyster. It's traditionally been a staple of Indigenous communities for food and trade, and it's now being investigated as a potential new commercial species. Traditional owners are hoping to have an oyster farming industry up and running in the next few years, and they're being supported by Churchill Fellow Dr Samantha Noland, a marine biologist with the Darwin Aquaculture Centre. She spends most of her time in the centre's hatchery cultivating broodstock to be sent out to farms along the coast. But she's now at Vancouver Island in Canada as part of her Churchill Fellowship, where she's looking at other examples where Indigenous communities have set up commercial oyster operations. Hello and welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Look, for those outside the Territory who haven't had a chance to taste this native tropical oyster, give us an idea, please, of the taste and how it compares with the more familiar Pacific or Sydney rock oyster. Yeah, I've always, um, I've eaten a lot of black lit rock oysters and always enjoyed eating them and and probably biasly say that they're better tasting than other species. But we recently held a tropical rock oyster workshop in Darwin and we got to taste black lip rock oysters from South Golden Island alongside Pacific oysters grown in the south of the country and um, they're just a completely completely different taste and, and um, flavour profile there. And, and like Pacific is quite <laughs> what, what, like light what? And is sweet. It sweeter, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you say? Oh, no, Pacifics are quite light and sweet and black lip, uh, they're more of a firm flesh and, and more minerally and a richer flavour, I'd say, but... Oh. It's really great to have a variety, I think, of flavours in an oyster bar. Sure. Now, I gather you were approached by some innovative traditional owners a few years ago who wanted to see if this variety could be farmed commercially. What have you been doing to investigate this possibility? Yeah, it's going on to close to a decade now that we've been working with um, a few different groups in the Northern Territory. Um, we've focused mainly on the hatchery and closing the life cycle for the species because uh, early on, wild spat collection or wild collection of juveniles wasn't there wasn't enough quantity to be commercially sustainable. So um, we've just now moved out of our hatchery bottleneck and we're able to produce reliably produce seed for farmers to grow out. Um, and then alongside our production, the communities, indigenous communities, have been looking at growing out and trying different grow out methods for the species. So there's real potential there. You feel pretty sure, do you? Yeah, we're moving out of research phase and into commercial production. It's a really exciting time, actually. Already, I see. And, um, I mean, you're a week into your research <laughs> your research trip. The first stop was Washington State. Um, why are you there? What, what, what are you hoping to see? Yeah, so I got a Churchill Fellowship in 2019 and, and now I'm able to travel thanks to COVID. It was delayed a bit. Um, but I'm visiting America, Canada and New Zealand to investigate uh, four main bottlenecks or themes, I guess. So one of those is um, farming systems in extreme environments. We have quite extreme environments in the Northern Territory. Mm. Um, mod- looking at models about how other Indigenous communities own and operate successful oyster farming businesses. And I was just earlier today at a First Nation uh, owned and operated oyster farm. Um, how to ensure food safety, so looking at how other countries do their shellfish quality assurance programs 
and then looking at hatcheries, different hatcheries along in these countries and uh, their production methods for their oyster species. So, so a lot now of learning. the so the people you're visiting, they've they're well into this stage, are they? They've sort of got a more um, you know they've had to test their resilience, I, I presume, their managerial resilience. I'm really talking about. Is that something that you're looking at as well? Yeah, definitely looking at different um, governance structures and business um, business structures. The different groups I'm visiting are all at different stages of production and different sizes as well. Um, so part of the part of the findings will be writing a report and synthesising these findings and and just what 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 might be able to be applied to our northern context mm. because it is a very different operating and. Uh, political environment as well in these different countries. Oh, well, that's interesting. Um, have they, you know, if you had to summarise, you may not have fully formed the ideas in your head yet, but, you know, what are the what are the mistakes they've made? What have they learned from? I think um, I'm, I'm only halfway through, so I'm still, still going, um, going through all the information sure. and learning more each day. But definitely something that really stood out today was the need in Canada and in the First Nations groups I've, group I visited today um, was to, the need to um, apply innovation and mechanisation to the oyster farming. It's such a labour-intensive operation that um, really there are new methods out there and there's new techniques to farm that can really simplify the reliance on a lot of labour force. Um, so that was a really cool Really cool farm, doing some great things today. But they're well and truly ahead of us, are they? That, 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 they're, they're, how long have they been underway? I should have asked that. Oh, well, this farm actually was a um, historical farm. In a, they used to farm in a different method and then that actually fell over. And then in 2019 or uh, 2021, they started this new, they reinvigorated their oyster farm uh, the First Nation group wanted to reinvest in it and they started a new method of farming. They're using a Hexel flip farm um, system. Right. And it's proven to be um, really good and they're expanding it again and um, it'll be a really profitable business for the for the First Nation so group com- now. Coming back to the Territory, um, where might the farms be located? There's one already located on South Goulburn Island in Arnhem Land and um, they just were the ones that had their oysters on display at the Oyster Bar last month uh, in Darwin. And then the other farm is on Groot Island uh, in the Gulf of Carpentaria. The program that we're running is there's some research being funded by CRC North Australia um, and we're expanding our, adding two more um, trial sites for this farming of blacklit rock oysters in the Northern Territory. And do you really think there's potential, uh, you know, profit potential there or is it, uh, you know, would you be aiming for sort of good labour involvement but not for profit? How are you thinking? It'll be for for profit. Uh, Most of the communities will be running it as a for-profit business, but it's really up to the community to decide at what scale they want to farm at. Um, I I believe in the oyster farming venture. I'm coming on to doing it for nine years now, so I'm pretty heavily in, invested and believe in the product, mm. um, but really it's not. It's up to the communities to decide how they want their business to look and at what scale they want to farm. How many would it employ? Like you said, it was quite labour intensive. Yeah. So the Cooperative Research Centre for Northern Australia did some forecasting of the industry, and they 
Uh, their predictions were that they would create 900 jobs across northern Australia, included WA and Queensland, within 20 years. So adding $217 million to the northern economy. Uh, you've really so done not it. insignificant? No, not insignificant at all. <laughs> all right. Well, look, Samantha, um, I, uh, I do hope it works for you. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Samantha Noland, now in Canada, but from the Darwin Agriculture Centre uh, as part of the Northern Territory Government. Can I just read you, by the way, we were talking about words in our current affairs segment. <laughs> One of our listeners said, I think platonic promiscuity is what your wonderful guest might have meant, which I think is diplomatic gold. It's all in the hope and the intention. We all hope things go well, but no promises as we will take care of our own interests. It's definitely more cosy than agnosticism. I, for one, understand and appreciate the Asian style of friendliness. That's from Kate. Look, thank you very much indeed. Thank you for your company too. Cricket's four for 116 at Stumps, by the way. I'm watching. We thought of having Warwick Hadfield, but uh, thought we'll wait for later. I'm Geraldine Doog. Um, My thanks to our fabulous team, Belinda Summer, Isabel Summerson and Anne-Marie de Betancourt. And Andy Ford is back with the music show later today. But stay with RN now. Blueprint for Living. Hello to Jonathan Green. ABC RN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.